my name's Johan Noor. I'm the creator of Morkboard. My name's Tony Descenda. Uh, I'm Chief Alchemist at Plus One EXP, which is a weird little brand that multi-classes in tabletop game design, beard, and skincare alchemy in the Bardic College of Content Creation. I have no idea why I was asked to help moderate this panel, so let's introduce you to somebody else who has far more credentials in that regard than I do, uh, and that's my co-moderator, Walt. Walt, why don't you tell people who you are? <laughs> Thanks, Tony. Uh, I'm Walton Wood. Um, I, I, I've made some Mercury stuff, but you've never heard of it because it's bad. Uh, but you, you may be familiar with uh, Exlibris Mercury, which is the centralized directory of uh, third-party uh, Mercury Cult and some official products. Um, that's at Exlibris RPG right now, but we're going to be at um, Mercury.exlibris.com very soon. Um, so I, I have seen a huge amount of third-party content, which is why I suspect uh, I was asked to come and co-moderate, but uh, maybe it was just to come and make a fool out of myself. Well, for people who may not be familiar with it yet, tell us, give us, give us the brief one down of what Exlibris Morkboard does. Uh, we aggregate and annotate and link to every piece of third-party content that we can find that's published under uh, the third-party license. Uh, in addition to Mercury Cult, which is the semi-official releases, and um, also we're keeping track of, um, so far, the one official expansion, uh, Putrescence Regnant. But we're basically the one-stop shop for just about everything published for this game. And hey, what we're going to have everybody introduce themselves, what are they going to tell us as they're introducing themselves? Um, good question. Uh, real quick, first of all, thank you everyone for being here. Thank you all for being here. Uh, it's great when people are interested. In uh, we also have some distinguished guests that are hiding in the room. Uh, I'd like to welcome Pelle Nielsen, uh, writer and designer for Mark Bori. Uh, Yuan Noor, who's the artist and the layout artist. There they are. Thank you guys for coming all the way here. <laughs> uh, we also have a couple members of Stockholm Cartel, I think, here with us. Uh, Christian Salin and uh, Carl Nableus, they're also joining us today. Christian did Cyborg and uh, Carl did Death in Space, just for context. So, um, all right. That's everyone except the panelists uh, introduced. Uh, <laughs> I, saved, up here. I yeah. saved the best for last. Uh, so, yeah, um, I guess... Um, if we'll start at the end of the table and work down, um, <laughs> just tell us who you are. Um, if you want to tell us what you do in everyday life, that's cool, too. Um, some stuff that you worked on, some little projects that you've done. Um, also, we're interested to hear, like, what was your first experience with the game? What was it like playing this? And, you know, how did that influence you to start creating content? So, take it away. All right. Uh, I'm Michael Mars. I've done Slasher Zine, produced on Nativity in Black, Kennels of Carnage, I did Within a Mile of Home, and uh, I got started by buying the game on December 21st when I finally got to hold it in my hands in person in 2020 at a game store, because that was the first time they reopened. And then I played on December 24th, and I had my first expansion out, Eldritch Elevations, on December 26th. <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. Hi, uh, I'm Ian Long. I'm the uh, the cannibal curator of uh, Ex Libris. Uh, I uh, I'm probably best known for Cannibal Cook and uh, pretty much anything cannibal related. Uh, I either made or wish I made. Um, <laughs> uh, my first experience with uh, with uh, Morkborg was uh, I, I saw the cover 
and it reminded me so much of the the art magazines that my my mother had on her like coffee table when I was a kid, and I was like, this looks amazing. I've gotta I've gotta see what this is about. Uh, and I picked it up, and the first game I ran uh, for my friends was uh, a good old fashioned murder dungeon. And uh, I think we killed about seven people getting into a 40-foot hole. And that's when I knew it was the game for me. Um, <laughs> everybody was laughing. And, and uh, after the seventh person died, I was like, all right, the bodies are going to cushion your fall. We're moving <laughs> on. And, uh, and uh, it only went downhill from there. It was a wonderful, wonderful first experience. Awesome. I'm uh, Brian Cullen, I'm the creator of Vast Grimm, a sci-fi horror, sci-fi hack of Merkborg. I also uh, built a website called Merkborg Compatible, where anybody can submit games that they're crowdfunding that are Merkborg related, so that it can be one centralized place. Uh, I've also done a uh, Merkborg adventure called Crawling Death that should be arriving to my house while I'm here <laughs> in uh, at Gen Con. Um, <laughs> I'm looking worst. forward to it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I have samples at my booth. But uh, and uh, my first experience was uh, my friend Ross Brandt, who also co-wrote Vascrim and co-layout Vascrim with me. He ran our Atlanta group of uh, gaming friends through an adventure. I died horribly right at the very end, mm -hmm. right after we had done everything successfully, and somehow I tripped and failed horribly. But playing the game, feeling the book inspired me to sculpt again, which I hadn't done because I just hadn't been doing conventions because of COVID and things like that. And the first thing I sculpted was much darker and a little weirder than the other things I had sculpted before. And from that is where my, the Vascrim universe came from. And if you want to stop by your booth to see that, what booth number Booth 2467. I actually have that sculpture there. So life-size weird giant warhound creature. It almost ate me. Yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. Watch your head. Yeah. Uh, I'm Luke Stratton, uh, also known as Limithron. I started a Patreon during COVID making almost all pirate ship maps for mostly 5th edition. And I was running a 5th edition campaign, naval campaign, uh, and always having to like tweak the system to fit what I needed to run a pirate game. And we took a break because I was burnt out from the Patreon and playing all the time. And we rotated DMs, and one of my DMs was like, Yo, let's let's play Mark Borg. So uh, we played it, and it was the most fun we'd had in like two years of playing. And I was like, this is perfect for pirates. So I hacked it into Pirate Borg, which I have test copies of, uh, funded on uh, pirate, on Kickstarter, did really well, and it's my full-time job now. So My name is Zach, Zach Goins. Um, I'm the creative director at World of Game Design. We publish a bunch of 5th edition content, Mothership content, system neutral content, and Morkboard content. Um, half of my job is overseeing all the creative projects that we do in-house, and the other half is I am a Kickstarter consultant for a bunch of clients. And so, like, we've got six live Kickstarters at the moment that we kind of cycle through. Um, and that's what I do full-time. It's really fun. Um, the Morkboard thing that I'm bringing to the table today is Seven Aboard the Shackle, which is a... My take on a dungeon crawl, but with a, a prison Hulk aesthetic. So it's a dungeon crawl on the water. Super fun. You can come check it out. Um, but how I got into Morkborg uh, was probably a little different. I uh, I bought the book like right after it came out, and I read it all, and I was like, I don't understand this. It's a cool book, whatever. <laughs> and I threw it on the shelf, um, and I sat there for like a year. Um, and then I was working at another uh, convention and Ed Burrell, who did Masticator's Gate, was at the booth next to mine. 
And I walked over to him. I'm like, tell, explain to me why I should care about Morgborg at all other than as a coffee table book. And he's like, well, it's, you know, it's 100% style and zero substance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, I'll read it again with that in mind. And just kind of, he's like, don't overthink it. It's a really simple system. Read the book in this way and you'll parse it easier. So I went back home, pulled it off the shelf, read it, fell in love, and immediately started writing the adventures for it. So I was halfway through the adventure before I actually pulled in a group to play. And uh, it, it it's a delight. It brings back Wait. that... You hadn't played at all? No. Oh, no, no, nice. no, 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 no. I was just sitting there like, we need to play, you know, lots of people uh, are comfy in their fifth edition space. Oh, yeah. yeah. So finding a crew that wants to try out something new is sometimes hard. Um, but we all fell in love with the idea of consequences being injected back into the game. And we also fell in love with the idea of discovery in the hands of the GM in addition to the players, right? There's so many random tables and so much crap that the GM is never going to know before they sit down that um, that's that's the thing that keeps me coming back to it. I'm Rugos Cohn. I'm probably best known for my 30 Days uh, Adventure chat books. Uh, I was the, uh, the fifth person to release under the third-party license on uh, the Discord channel. Um, <clears throat> so I've been doing this for a while. I was out of RPGs completely for almost 30 years, and uh, my kids were getting into 5e, and I was looking for ways to make running 5e for my children more entertaining for myself, and I came across a review on uh, Professor Dungeon Master's oh, yeah. YouTube channel, and he highlighted the book, I said, I need this now. <laughs> I just It was just after the Kickstarter. I had missed the Kickstarter. I ordered it in, uh, I think, March of 2020. I had it by April, and uh, I've been kind of obsessed since, I guess. <laughs> uh, had a few releases since then. So, uh, And my first experience was running it for a 10- and a 13-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, also, Brian was the one who organized this, so uh, thank you for bringing us all yeah, together. Yeah, totally. Today. Um, all right, next question. So we kind of already touched on this a little bit uh, in the beginning, but um, if you guys want to go into more detail, like why make stuff for this game and this system? Like specifically, you know, we've heard about the style, we've heard about you know the the very light rule set. Um, what in particular inspires you to make stuff for this game? Brian, let's start with you, actually. Sure, totally. The, the thing for me is I don't want to open up a book and just fall asleep when I see miles and miles of text down the page. I want to open the book and be like, holy shit, what is this? What, what am I seeing here? And I want, to, like, I want to be inspired by every page that I turn and know that I can quickly look at it and dive in and get a sense of what I'm going to be running or who I'm going to be playing without having to, by, by, by just kind of seeing it and knowing it, um, instead of having to read a ton and ton of material to get into it. And the idea of leaving things so open-ended that what whoever plays it at this table is going to have a completely different experience than the people playing it at this table. Because you want, uh, like, I love the idea of each gaming group to have their own sense of ownership of what they're playing. I also really like that. I feel like Morkborg uh, broke the glass ceiling on whether the book 
is like part of the visual experience of playing the game. Mm-hmm. Like when you're playing a fifth edition game, the DM might not share any of the book other than some art. And I feel like if you're playing Morkborg, you you hand your players the book. And them flipping through it is like, oh, like in ten seconds, like I get this, like let's yeah. let's do it, you know. That's what I, one of the things I like about it. Yeah. So uh, on my end, it's the randomness. Like like there's other games that do it, but there's no other game that relishes in it as much. And so uh, I've ran and published and written a ton of five E stuff and other systems that are very, like you said, uh, very here's the template, here's how you work through it, here's what a great adventure looks like, right? Um, and I've ran games at a ton of conventions for 5e and other systems, and it just kind of felt like, for me, all the discovery happened away from the table, right? The discovery happened as I was prepping, and then I set to the table and I just run it. And Morkborg was great because, at least the way I run it, um, I don't show up to the table with anything prepped at all. Um, if I run one of these Yahoo's adventures, like I'm probably opening it for the second time as I'm running it <laughs> and, and finding out what it's all about as it happens. For me, it's, uh, it's all about amusing myself. I write the things that I think are funny and that I would want to have happen to me as a player. And it's a, I'm a professional artist in my real life, my other job. And so this is just kind of an extension of my art practice that doesn't involve me having a whole bunch of big sculptures to store. Uh, so I, I see it as an, as an extension of my art practice. I think it's, it's pieces of artwork to me. I don't see this as a, a product or a book that I'm selling to you. I'm selling you artwork. You, you want that to happen to you? The stuff that you're making? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, all right, that's for all the right. record. Yeah? All right. Um, the thing that I love the most about uh, designing, like for for Mortborg, is uh, it's 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 so open and inviting in the in the sense that the setting is both grounded and dreamlike, and it leaves room as a creator for you to do almost anything, uh, you know. And and I've seen so much so much such a a variety of things come in from people's different perspectives and the setting uh, with the kind of the anti canon and, and the, the, the dreamlike elements that just can accommodate all of it. You know, you can, you could have the same group and you can play, you know, three or four or five wildly disparate, like one shots created by people with totally different artistic visions. And the, the setting itself and the design is so flexible that it's, it just works that, that you know, uh, you know, you can have a time traveling like, like uh, you know, uh, kind of sci-fi character in this like dark, you know, uh, fantasy, you know, setting like fighting with a cannibal cult of like psychedelic mushroom, you know, uh, eating like like people, and it's just it works, you know, it's like it 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 accommodates all, and that's that's the thing I love the most about it. And Sounds like a fish concert to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in my real world, I do traditional writing for for five E Pathfinder one that kind of stuff. And when I start to feel burnt out, I'm like, I really need a brain break that will refresh my creative juice. And that's when I write something more for it. When I am like, I really dislike RPGs right now. So let's go back to the one RPG that's never going to get tired. 
Yeah. I think we'd also be remiss to not say that the license, oh, that yeah. the third-party license makes it really easy to create for this game. Like, there's other systems that you can definitely write for, but they all have hoops and little things that you have to navigate. Mm-hmm. And it's so easy, so simple to, to put out stuff for this. And it's so welcoming as a community and as an organization. Uh, that's sometimes the best part of it. That's definitely one of the reasons that I started writing immediately because I knew I could write immediately. So, Zach, mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about the license. Uh, you don't have to be an expert expert on it. Oh, like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, just like <laughs> when you say that you like that for people who may be listening or who are in the room now who aren't totally familiar with the license, just do, do a quick yeah. question. About with what, a big what asterisk for I could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> people if back we're there, wrong, like, anybody in the back yeah, of the room yeah, yeah. no! <laughs> <laughs> no. But um, there's a little piece of disclaimer text that you need to put on your credits page that basically says, hey, this is not an official product and there's a compatible with Morkborg logo that you use instead of the the core logo. Um, And that is, I think there's a couple things like some of the spells or powers in it that you need to uh, check in with before you utilize fully. But that's basically it in comparison to a lot of uh, licensing where it is you can use exactly these words but not these words or you have to ask permission or you have to sign up for a royalty, you have to pay for a license. All of these things, there's there's systems out there that you actually have to write your book and then submit it for approval before they give you the license, which is a lot of investment on your part before you even know if you can publish it. Um, And there's none of that here, so... Um, you should be a part of the community. You should enter the Discord and engage with creators uh, and whatnot. But it's not—it's not something that there's a lot of hoops to jump through. Let's just check. How do you, was that good? Was that good? Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Just making sure. Yeah. 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 The, the limitations. Yeah. No racism. No sexism. Like yep. you know. Like don't uh, be but, a dick. Yeah. Yep. So. Um, and if anybody wants more information about the license, the thing is in full on the official website. It's written in plain language. It's not obtuse like um, I understood it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's very, very accessible. It's easy to understand, and everything you need to know is laid out right there in front of you in very simple language. It's a very, very friendly license on every level. I think the other thing is that the book, too, in an unwritten way, gives you a visual license to do whatever you fucking want, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you make a 5e book, you're like, I got to make it like a 5e book or you aren't going to like it. Like, I got to follow their rules or how you do stats. I got to, you know, and, and Morkborg, the rules or how they do stats are changed throughout the book. So you're like, well, I, I can do that, dude. I'll do whatever I want. And I think that, that for me, that was the real license is like, forget how you think it should be done. Just do it however you want. Yeah, I'd like to come back and touch on that more. Uh, well, what, where are we at? Oh, I was going to see if anybody had any other comments they wanted to make on that topic or no um do we want to take a question yeah okay it's a comment oh comment comment. what's your name uh ian ian mcclung ian mcclung welcome Um, ian so uh i'm not actually i've written stuff from before um and i just wanted to say on the lines of the don't be a dick clause of the content i think what makes markford particularly compelling is that it's this incredibly like sophomorically edgy game just looking at it. It's like crazy edgy. It's like you can be edgy, you can be gross, you can be so weird and whatever. But unlike other games that have, 
you know, try to actively be edgy. Um, you probably know a few I've talked to. Uh, I'm talking about without being. You could badmouth them all right now on the record. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> like lamentations of the. No, no, no. He <laughs> did it. It's it's made by people that I can trust to actually hopefully be good people unless we learn things. Um, and also it like you know it's edgy. It's edgy in a very fun way. It's not trying to really like push things in ways that would make people. Like super uncomfortable unless you're uncomfortable with gore and potty humor, in which case I'm so sorry. <laughs> you're probably not going to like this game anyway. So, so yeah, that's just what I wanted to add. Excellent, thank you. Um, uh, yeah, so um, with some context now, one thing I think is kind of interesting to always hear from creators is like, where do you draw inspiration from? What makes you think, aha, you know, I have an idea for a piece of content, whether it's a class an adventure, an item, a set of items, whatever it is. Uh, is there anything particular that makes you think, aha, Mercury? Um, anybody? Have I recently some... had an experience with that. Uh, I took a trip this uh, summer with my family. We took the train from Chicago to Seattle, Washington. And we were in, uh, we were just past, we we're entering, we we're through Glacier National Park. And we were kind of coming into Idaho, and I was sitting in my little cabin. Uh, with my older son above me in his bunk sleeping, and I had the curtains open, and I was listening to some sludgy doom metal and watching the uh, the mountains pass by and the trees, and it was all spooky and creepy, and I could hardly see anything because it was dark, and uh, it gave me this idea for, oh, I want to do a mountain crawl where, like, you're going to come down this mountain and go have to, you know, there's piles of trees everywhere, and and here, it's, it's up here, there's, uh, yeah, there's... Uh, Two of them, there's uh, the original and the sequel, and this was like, it totally inspired by looking out a window on a train, listening to some sludgy metal. Yeah, could you give us, just real quickly, a sample of what sludgy metal sounds like? <laughs> Acapella. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like my voice does right now. Okay. <laughs> just imagine screaming for like eight straight minutes. Uh, similar... Uh, to your sludgy metal, I'm not really a metal person. I'd lean way more into the punk rock side of things. So a lot of the, some of the words or even the most recent adventure that I put out is off of a punk rock song name and I work some of that in. And then I also tend to reference a lot of like pop cultural things that I grew up with. Like in an upcoming thing, I have a weird, uh, a weird Space Raider cla character who is named Gonzo because of the Muppets and his ship is the Seed dot a dot m one lla for camilla the the uh the chicken that uh, gonzo always is in love with so weird goofy shit that means a lot to me that doesn't mean anything to anybody else i think uh on my end um i work with several 5e teams and i've collaborated with a lot of 5e people and i we have a horror division as well in our 5e group and so i get pitched a lot of ideas we brainstorm a lot of ideas and sometimes those ideas should not be in <laughs> like the aesthetic doesn't work the presentation the, the ideas are too weird and five the 5e crowd doesn't always appreciate weird ideas sometimes um so i had actually sat on this prison hulk adventure for several years because i'm like well that's not a 5e thing so i'll just hold on to it and then uh, it's like perfect fit for more work so that that's a lot of times what happens to me is um, it's in the creative brainstorming process when an idea is too extreme for something else, it gets stuck in the Morkborg category. 
Uh, I'm working on my own campaign setting called the Dark Caribbean. So mine is it's basically uh, Darkest Dungeon, but in the Caribbean. So it kind of like bakes itself, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I basically see a thieves, but you know if uh johan drew it that, that's kind of no, my artistic pitch so i'm never short for ideas for that setting i i think i might be in a little bit of a special case because i i get to see everybody's wonderful stuff that they that they make and i i, I uh whether whether you know it or not i have i have read it if it's if it's on if it's if it has been on there since february i guarantee you i've read it if it was before that it's probably come up in like my random selections every friday so I I have read your stuff all the way through, uh, I promise. <laughs> and if I haven't yet, I will. Um, so I get a lot of stuff from that. But uh, the majority of what inspiration I have, I don't have as much time to create as I'd love. Um, but the stuff I have created, a lot of it comes from uh, other games that I'm playing. It's like, like uh, you know, Morkborg has like bored it into my brain. And when I'm playing other games, I'm like, oh... Oh, that was fun! I could make this about three shades darker and 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 a little bit grosser, and and it'll it'll fit right in, you know. Uh, I because I don't know, I, I it just comes it just comes naturally. Uh, I I most of my writing comes out, and I feel like it's I'll have like a fifteen minute like I'll just be doing something randomly, and it'll just kind of pop out of my head, and I'll just have to like frantically write it down. Uh, and then you know, three months later, I'll have time to actually formalize it. But like you know, the seed. It just it just kind of comes after a game. Usually, I'll, I'll I'll have some tangential thing. You know, it comes through play with my other players for the most part. I think uh, a lot of mine comes through whatever is going on with what I'm working on actually, and then I'm like, this really inspired me to do this, and then I'll start tangenting as everyone does when they're you know getting bored at work and then it's like all right i'm three steps away and i just found a really cool piece of art well i guess i'm writing a more board product now. <laughs> here we go again yeah, well, let's, uh, uh, I, I think you know there's two things that come out of the conversation that i'm super interested in and uh i'm not looking at the schedule that walt and i talked about beforehand but uh, I'll, yeah, the two things, two things I, yeah the two things i think are, are most interesting right now that i'd love to hear you know um picking up a little bit on ian said uh maybe like, what's another piece of work in the Merkboard community that you've seen that you're just like, this is, this is it. Like, this is like, not, like, this isn't what I would design. This is what I want to sit down and play. Like, so what's somebody else's work that just kind of gets you? You know, the other thing, uh, we'll talk tackle after that, but just to put it in the back of your brain, is like, when approaching the visual aesthetic, how do you do that? So stick that in the back of your brain. Uh, but I'd love to hear from each of you, maybe like, who's somebody else's work who you just think is tremendously stand out in one of the best examples that's ready to go yeah i'm ready to go here i I just played it and i got super obsessed about it i'm not gonna remember who wrote it so maybe it's one of you guys um but it's like the cult of the many face god is a little trifold pamphlet that was christmas set okay awesome yeah i jokingly in the hallway when we were talking about this question said Hopefully not everybody says Christmas. Set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so <laughs> we're off and we're off, we're, we're already on track for yeah, it. Yeah, like that book, that that pamphlet is badass. <laughs> it's so good. And uh, one of the things that I love the most about it, well, first off, I threw it in my backpack when I went to hang out with some buddies for the weekend. Hadn't looked at it in since it since I bought it, and I'm like, well, I'll just play this. And I opened it up, and we started this little urban hex crawl, right? And just discovered it as we went along, and it was. So good. But um, one of the things that I love the most about it is it is it does have that level of weirdness and profanity and, and 
morkborginess to it, but it's also just this cool hex crawl social encounters, a lot less combat, a lot more just experiencing a world in turmoil. And as soon as I finished it, I'm like, we need more morkborg projects like this where player where writers are exploring these awesome cities and locations that we see in a way that isn't just fighting things, even though that's awesome. But where we get to see like all these different cults and and people and regular Joes and how they're handling the end of the world. Uh, Chris has really good thinking adventures. I still at his more important stuff managed to lick things and kill myself. Um, anybody else? Uh, what something that just really inspired you from somebody else? I think uh, I'm going to go with Clam Dash by Carl Druid. <laughs> um, Carl, I mean, there's no one I think that nails the style and the tone just the right way as Carl. Like he he gets it. He's got this irreverent humor. He's got you know like everything about what he does is. I, I, it makes me want to quit. Like when he makes a release, like oh, damn it, why didn't I think of that? Like that's the kind of I think writer and, and artist that he is with his releases. We really got nice. a sense of what Clam Dash is. You want to give us the uh, the thirty second pitch on it? You're dashing for clams. You're, yeah, you're, 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 yeah, it's a, yes. <laughs> there is actually a time mechanic. No, I know. <laughs> and so, um, for frontier scum too. Yeah, oh, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not technically Morkborg anymore, no, but, no, but it's, he did like a Wild West hack. Yeah, it's basically it's, Morkborg in the Wild West. Yeah, Carl Druid's where it's at. Yeah, nice. yeah. Uh, uh, oh, Clam Dash is like a, is like a, like a, a country murder festival. Like it's like it's like the clam festival where everybody goes into a cave to die and somebody wins at the end. Maybe. Maybe. Wins by uh, dying or by not dying? Wins by Play not dying yes. with the most clams. Nice. Um, it's a great little it's a great little mini game, uh, great little one shot, great introduction if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, just introduce a new group of new group of people and they you know everybody maybe a little tipsy and you just break it out let's do some clam dash it's like the best time best time for it um, my personal favorite this is my my personal copy to run uh that i printed uh it's monkey murder manor oh yeah uh by uh ripley uh caldwell and uh and uh the graphic design was by Chalkdown. um it's a beautiful it's a beautiful uh little haunted house kind of dungeon uh, that has these great little faction mechanics. Basically, the house and the monkeys are in in, uh, in opposition to one another, and uh, you're you're almost destined to take sides and then switch sides. And uh, uh, there's antics that ensue. Um, it's 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 like a wizard light. Um, if you're not ready for a wizard, but you want to get some of those, you want to get some of those feels. Uh, Monkey Murder Manor is is where it's at. Um, it's a really beautiful, long form dungeon. It's it's not quite a, a mega dungeon, but you'll probably spend uh, more than a session in it. Um, and it like has two different levels, and it has like a, a a fake out kind of in the middle. Like it changes tone uh, as the as the story progresses, and it's got like a lot of layers and a lot of nuance that you can either totally ignore. And just have a fun time fighting monkeys and mannequins in a house, or like you can you can really dig down deep and, and see something kind of profound out of it. Um, so it's it's one of my favorites. If anybody wants to check it out, it's not mine, but I have a I have like just a printout copy, and you're more than welcome to thumb through it if it's interesting. Cool. For I, me, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. 
for me, I was totally terrified of doing spaceship mechanics until I played Pirate Borg on <laughs> plus one EXP. So for me, playing that, it made me feel comfortable with the fact that I could do it because I know there's lots of people that really are nitpicky about ship stuff, but I really enjoyed that and that inspired me to be able to do what I'm currently working on with that. So, Luke. Well, I was one of mine is going to be Vascrim. Oh my god! <laughs> because uh, on, <laughs> well, but when I when I started this project, I was like, dude, I don't know if I'm like, am I allowed to like hack the whole game? And then Vascrim came out. I was like, cool, I'm doing it. So, um, and, but also you hacked the whole style. It wasn't mm -hmm. just like everything. A lot of things have been yellow up to that point, and you were like, no, I'm doing my own thing. So I I appreciated that you can be in both lanes. You know. Thank you. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to Fiskborg. I forget who who wrote that. Uh, is that is Sprinty now, but uh, with Adam doing the art. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's a Morkboard game about fishing. It's like uh, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, if you're um, looking to unlock the fishing mini game, and yes, you yeah, <laughs> yeah. You played a lot of Zelda when you were when you were growing yeah. up. It's a perfect Morkboard add-on. Uh, also, uh, Christian Eichhorn did um, Temple the Kraken God and a bunch of other ones. Mm -hmm. He's another like all-in-one guy that writes in does the illustration. So I jerk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, and then the last one, um, I haven't read it yet, but JVC Perry just put out. Uh, he just kickstarted a Morkborg project. He did a Five E Call from the Deep, and it's like one of the best Five E adventures ever written. I think and I'm really excited to see what that book does. Yeah, he also did a haunted house. He wrote a haunted house adventure for me, and it's crazy cool how it all, like all he's he's just got a great brain. He's like the like top selling DMs Guild guy. Yeah, and he's like I gotta leave this platform so I don't you know so yeah, I can make a profit. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so I guess I'm going to sound like uh, the basic bitch here. <laughs> but uh, I really like the layout design of Philip Reed. It's the easiest for me to run off of. And uh, like, while well, his content isn't always the best, it's always good quality. And I can pick it up and be like, okay, I can run this in two seconds. Phil's supposed to be here, right? Yes. He was yeah. supposed to be here. Yep. He wasn't yeah. able to make it. Yep. So, Phil, if you're listening, we wish you were here, buddy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, no, the the visual consistency for Phil stuff does take like it's a little bit yeah. cleaner, uh, like super easy. If somebody's like overwhelmed by the style of other Merkborg stuff, like it's really easy to pick up Phil's stuff and like dive in based on the sensibilities without losing anything else. Exactly, yeah. and that's really what I love about it because I buy every single one of you guys' physical products. They're on my shelf. I believe uh, I believe that I haven't missed any unless they came out on itch and I didn't see it but uh, so it's nice when I go to go through it and I can open it up say okay this is what it is close it back up grab the next one yeah. <laughs> I also want to say cyborg I don't know if it's allowed but I felt like <laughs> it's not okay. it's not panel over no cyborg go ahead I just feel like that book is like uh, it's like oh yeah remember that thing and you guys did that thing well here and now we're upping the game a whole nother level so I just want to say shout out to that Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, that the visual style though. Like um, you know, this, this is this is a lot talked about with Merkborg, um, though. I think people also dramatically underestimate how hard evocative minimalist writing is. Like saying something in less words is harder than saying something in more words. Um, so like there is a there is 
There's a design intent in Morkboard that I think a lot of people tremendously miss. However, the visual style is a huge part of what attracts people, sells people, or that people sometimes are like, I hate this and can never do this, <laughs> uh, which is all fine. Like, it's good for people to find the games that they love. But, y'all, when you're looking at your projects or when you're looking at third-party projects, uh, what are some of the ways you approach the, the visual design elements to kind of make it feel very much Morkboard, but also give it the kind of personality that you're really looking for in the projects that you create? I do what I want. <laughs> what, what, tell me a little bit more about that. Like, well, what you... uh, my first three were a traditional layout because that's where I come from. And they were just two column, all that typographical. And then I did wrapping around the piece of beautiful art by Rugos. <laughs> Uh, and now I will just do whatever I want. I will change the color of the background to make it where I can go over an image. I will write sideways around the paper. Uh, I have not been convinced to put the title so large it goes off the cover yet, despite being told <laughs> three times. <laughs> um, uh, for you as an, as an artist, right? Like as somebody who that's, that's your, your jobby job also. Tell us a little bit about your approach when you're doing stuff. Uh, that's kind of my jumping off point. Like normally I start a project with, with the art that I want to have in that project. And like that's what inspires the writing. And so it made it really tough to get away from writing in layout because I was like, Oh, I need this visual. I need this visual. But I, I started to realize, well, I can have the visual and write as a separate document so I can get this edited and proofread and then do layout. But it's always about creating the images first for me. You need editing. Is editing a thing you should do? Editing is a very important thing people should do because as good a writer as you think you are, you're not. <laughs> and I, and I know I'm not. And so I've had a, a number of good people in the community help me. I've worked with, uh, with Walt on a couple of projects now and, uh, and with some other people that aren't involved with, with this so much, but they do other professional, uh, editing, uh, Matthew K who's kind of known, I think more in Troika and, and yeah. some other areas. So, uh, yeah, editing is huge. But for you, that the art, like having the art in mind at the beginning, is a big part of where you start. Yeah, absolutely. Like now, I'm working now on the fourth volume of, of the chapbook series, and like, you know, to get going, to get writing, I've got to have visuals for myself to like, okay, what am I going to say? Because I know if I have a visual, I know I don't have to write about what you can see. I have to write about the stuff you can't see in that picture, and so that then that gives me. It gives me that ability to focus down what I'm working on. Um, and we talked a little bit about, like Luke specifically mentioned. <laughs> no, that's right. You heard it here. The 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 cartel group, they're walking out the back. They're walking out of the platform. Dan's are leaving. We've offended them. <laughs> they're giving us the finger as they go. It's a little upsetting. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah, yeah, thank, you. thank you. Enjoy your free league panel. <laughs> Cool. Have a good one, guys. Thanks again. Um, now that they're gone, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, <laughs> we can let it out. Uh, but so, Luke, you mentioned this, so Brian. Like, really, that's grim. Um, you, you, you did really kind of bring it in house. You kept, I think, a lot of the um, like the ethos of what what various did, but really took it. Uh, into space, I think in my review video, is like you know painted it, painted it day glow green and lost it into the the void of space, right? Like, right. Uh, but but in addition to just 
shifting color palette and bringing in different dinos, uh, Baskrim is mixed media, right? It's, right. it's photography, it's sculpture, uh, it's it's uh, traditional art, digital art. There's a ton of mixed things in there. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your approach to bringing things into the space. So really, when when I first like wanted to to bring this together, me myself and two of my other art friends, David Loraka, who's the owner of Infinite Black, and Alan Panicall, who's in the art show. He does fractured realism, very sci-fi stuff. Um, We've been friends since 2006, late 2016, 2017, when we were going to different conventions together, always being roommates. And we've always wanted to have a project that we worked on together. And when I was starting to, when I sculpted the first creature for Vaskram and knew that I was going to put these sculptures into the layout, I wanted to find a way to bring both of them in and mash the shit out of them together so it would work in a really different way than you see in most every other book. Like, because David's art is very, like, it's he's got very rough kind of ink painterly type stuff that he's using for this. Because he, he used to use, use a lot of, like, graphite and charcoal, but he was more experimental with this work. Where Alan's stuff was much more, like, like geometric type broken uh, pieces of, of color put together. And trying to find ways to layer those all together when doing it digitally as putting it together. And making it all work from page spread to page spread um, through using similar colors throughout the the pieces and even though they look different they all relate to one another so my, my goal was to try and have a way for us to have our art all together in one big book and then there's other art in there ross brandt who wrote about 25 percent of the book he's got some pieces in there and there's a couple other spot illustrations in there from some of our other friends as well but, i love it uh uh luke Pyroborg was a very different direction though right oh, yeah. so like there is a strong visual aesthetic, but you were, again, drawing vibes, but doing something very different at the same time. Tell us a little about your approach. Yeah, I started, I mentioned this briefly, but I started as a, it was like a 20-page zine, very yellow, and I was like, Johan really helped me be like, oh, I don't have to do 30 hours into one painting. I can do like three minutes, and it might be better for the visual right. thing I'm trying to get across. And I did that for a while, but then eventually I found that it really wasn't like I went to go play test with some of my maps and it, the visual aesthetic was not mixing well. So I kind of went back to a little bit more of a like uh, Mike Mingola, like comic book, darkest dungeon style. And I think I really hit my stride in that I could show like more or pirate board definitely shows the monsters more like they actually might be than uh, as their uh, emotion. Um, but for me, that really helps as a GM. I can like visualize what's actually happening and I can give better descriptions. So that's just what came out. And it's also easy enough that I can do it with my, like, I'm not able to get that painterly style. I'm just not advanced enough. Right. But the comic book thing, you spend enough time, you get there, you know? Zach, you opened your mouth three times like you wanted to say something. Uh, I was, I was going to support some of what he was saying because Pirate Borg's awesome and I love the, like, it's its own thing, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's funky. But it feels like a pirate book. Like, that's the thing. Like, I was excited when he launched the Kickstarter. I'm like, oh, it's more work, but it has a different feel. Yeah. And it, it owns itself, which is really nice. Um, so, yeah, hardcore. I like the browns and the blacks and the reds so much. Thanks, yeah. Um, I mean, I, there's absolutely nothing wrong with staying in the yellow work work thing. It's just this project deserves something different, I think. Yeah. So. On my end... Um, I'm not an artist, right? I can throw together something and I can kind of communicate in that space, um, but that's not my forte. And so um, luckily I have a cool team that I get to work with all the time. Um, and I have in-house designers that 
have been working on 5e stuff and other systems for a long time. And when I said, hey, I'm working on a Morkborg book and we're going to do this later this year, they're like, could we please write a troll for that to do something weird? Because we're, we'd love to, an opportunity. Um, and at least with this book, the presentation was, I have seven individuals in this book. So it's seven aboard the shackle. There's seven people. So I'm fine with having seven different art styles, right? And so my, my art team got to kind of go hog wild. And I said, here's some inspiration that I found on Pinterest that I like, but you guys do whatever you want to and I'll live with it because I want... I want it to be a collaborative thing. They came back with like killer, killer pieces. And I said, well, now I have to like make this book live up to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, again, I'm not an artist. Um, so one of the things that I did and I would encourage you to do as well is there's a really cool community out there that is artistic. And so I reached out to Sam Sorensen, who is an amazing designer and a great visualist. He did low life zine, which is incredible mm. i said would you be interested in taking this cool art and my crappy text and making it look beautiful and he's like oh yeah heck yeah that's i want to do a more court book <laughs> and so i kind of got the easy way out by collaborating and sharing a vision and being okay with other people bringing their creative uh inspiration into the project so just three key tips uh look on pinterest uh, hire an in-house design team for every project. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, have call, a whole... call Sam Swanson. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Everybody, just do that, and you'll yeah, be good to go. Yeah, go. Uh, awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, I got a little bit of a different question for you. Sure. Uh, any, any thoughts on um, uh, art species specifically besides do what you want, or is that is oh, that going to hit it off? Well, uh, I am not an artist whatsoever. So uh, what I do is I kit bash public domain art. Yeah and uh, apply filters and things like that. And that's about as far as I can get. Otherwise, I uh, I sometimes license art. I have several licenses from companies, and I'm like, I, if I use this, I what are the limits of how I can modify it without breaking my contract? <laughs> you know, really far away with really good kit bashing, though. So, yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, and I'd love to hear any general thoughts you have on the question, but also, like, you and Walt also, too, if you would even have some follow-up thoughts on this look a lot at all the Markboard products, right? Like mm -hmm. for, for Ex Libris, um, you look at this visual style. And I think there's this constant balance for a lot of people of how do I put something up that looks like Markborg, but also doesn't get lost in a sea of urine and pink. Um, <laughs> and so, um, which is a great, go ahead and write that down as your idea for your next Markborg module. Um, the, um, so, so what are some of the things you might give people advice on as far as, how to bring in that solid brand, but still give things maybe distinction that you've seen work really well, along with any other thoughts you have. Okay. Um, so um, the first thing I'll say um, is that Morkborg, from a design standpoint, um, I when I look at when I look at something that's really hit the style, um, aesthetically, it's it's a lot like jazz. Uh, is is the is the translation I have for it? Um, you know, when you're learning something. Uh, you know, it starts out really chaotic and, and it seems very disorganized and then you kind of learn all the rules and everything's very rigid. And then when you get to the jazz kind of point, things kind of feel chaotic, but it's really little, it's really little accents. Um, and there's a, there's a lot more structure uh, to, to Morkborg than, than maybe it appears. There's a couple of like really, really strong stylistic elements that, that tilt everything and make it feel a little, a little chaotic, you know, um, I'm not saying to rein it back in because I love I love everything that you that you guys do, but but there is a structure kind of underneath 
And uh, the things that I find that, that really stand out at the end of the day are, are, are the entries that kind of have a lot more structure to, at, the, at the base and then, and then have some really strong kind of tweaks at the end. Uh, just as a general rule of advice to stand out though and and be your own thing uh i think i said at the beginning Morkborg as a, as a as a as a game and from a like design standpoint really accommodates uh accommodates a lot of different genres i mean mixed media like all of all of this all of this stuff fits so if you have either a style that you like that maybe doesn't feel like maybe it doesn't feel like Morkborg to you I guarantee that you can bring you can bring that style in, and it will it will fold. It will it will it will. Morkborg will just envelop it and swallow it, and 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 accept it. Um, and That's so, cool. like like my style. Um, not that I've made a bunch of stuff, but I really like like the French like wood lithographic prints and that kind of style. And I mean, it's common in a lot of the public domain art. But like, I I almost have more of a troika like like aesthetic where it's like the this just line art and maybe some color and like i'm okay putting that out there you know it, it may not be as hard you know as 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 morkborg but like morkborg will accept that you know so you've you really i think should feel encouraged to from a design standpoint to uh to bring the aesthetic that you like into it and that's where you're gonna. That's where you're gonna stand out because what I enjoy the most when I'm doing reviews is when I can tell that the, the creator is having fun doing it, and you're gonna have the most fun doing it if it's yours, if it's your style, if it's what you want. Because Morkborg at the end of the day is gonna accept your style. Um, you know, at, at, at the very least, I will. I will read through it. I promise. <laughs> I'll have good things to say. If you ever want to talk to me. Uh, you know, I have a Twitter. I'm, I'm on. I'm on the True Morkborg Discord. I, I will. I will look at your stuff. I will talk with you about your stuff. You know, I, I, I enjoy that. Uh, I, I love to. I love to one-on-one talk to people about their art. So uh, if really Morkborg do. doesn't accept you, he will. I will. <laughs> I guarantee you, <laughs> Johan will accept you too. Yeah. They'll, they'll, yeah. yeah. You really just described the Borg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. That's I did. Back half that's actually I mean, why it's bored. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that, that, that's why they're so upset point. about the meme. You know, like the board, the like no. the board meme. So that's, I just want to say, we, everybody in this room, is not Johan. You're now not that Johan Johan's Nord. gone. Yeah, yeah. Johan is not. Don't me. worry about looking like Johan Nor's yeah. work. Yeah, you know, do your thing. It's going to be fine. Everyone will still be okay with it. So. Take that pressure off your shoulders. Yes, you do not have to emulate the core book. No one will ever expect that of you. Okay. Awesome. Um, Tony, do you have some questions lined up? We've got like maybe 20 No one has texted me. Uh, maybe it's not working, uh, but also maybe no one loves me. Um, <laughs> just a reminder, if you want, you, you we're, we'll have some open questions in just a second. Um, I'll repeat them all so that they get picked up really well. Uh, but also you can text in if you want to. Um, to whatever that number was I said earlier, to uh, 214-894-0789. That way, if you don't feel comfortable, you just text it to me. I'll represent uh, your questions. Or if we don't get to it, uh, we may be able to do some follow-up later on, uh, on conversations. It'll just create a record for us for the future. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll figure it out. Um, but with that said, yeah, we can go ahead and open up to, up to the floor for questions. Uh, if you have one, feel free to raise your hand. And it could be anything like we talked about some like inspiration stuff, kind of some big picture stuff. But if you've got more practical questions, like 
I hit it. Uh, if you would say your name for us, just so we can see. Um, I play Kickstarter like every freaking game up there. <laughs> this point, like it was something that when I first ran into more for same way I've been trying to run five E. I was getting really bored uh, trying to run five E because I had been out of it for about a decade or something. I used to be a forever DM thing. Came back to play with my friends, and five E felt so sterile. It was just so old to me. And then one of my buddies goes, "Hey, have you seen this game?" I need everything. And everything related to this now. And you mentioned that, uh, Brian, about like the, the punk rock aspect of it. And I think that's really, I see that really clearly because punk rock is something that on surface, especially back then, very simple, kind of ugly sounding, aggressive in your face. Uh, or something. But within that, there may have been very progressive messaging. There may have been, they're really trying to say something with some of the stuff. And sometimes they're just being puerile and having fun. But the best thing about it is that Anybody can do it. You know, that, that was the concept. Is anybody can pick up a guitar. You don't know how to play it. doesn't matter. Here's a power chord. Have fun. And that's something that I think is really appealing. I don't think any of the other creator guys that, that struck them, too. Is that you said you started, you know, you guys are writing content, like, right after you started reading the game or something. Because it has that aspect to it. It seems on its surface, very simple, very uh, kind of goofy and, and, and uh, almost intentionally... Uh, incendiary almost, but then you go, wait a minute, I can do a lot with this, and it doesn't need to be anything. So, like, does that aspect, like, you guys kind of feel the same way with the, the punk rock kind of thing of going, hey, anybody can try this, but no one can necessarily do it excellently without a little practice. Yeah, so what was the learning curve, though? Like, I mean, you mentioned to go in from, I read the book to releasing my first thing a couple of days later, but also the growth process. For each of y'all, kind of, what was your, what's been your, like, hey, here's how I've seen things evolve in my process, how long it took you to really feel comfortable with the designs you put out? Uh, any any insight or advice along those lines? I'm a just dive right in with everything I do, so I don't really it, like now seeing Cyborg and seeing the additional stat. It's like, oh shoot, I wish I would have done that, but it's too late now, right? It's so like Luke have, just laughed at you because Luke put an extra stat in. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have, after Cyborg, though. yeah, I have too many presence tests in everything I do. So like, yeah, I wish I, I've learned from that, but maybe maybe there will be a 2.0 down the road version. But yeah, sometimes you just a lot of people I find spend too much time worrying about the fine details about things that they never put out what they're going to put out. Sometimes you just got to put it out and move it on to the next thing so that you can actually get something out there. I wish I could take that advice. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm a perfectionist. Um, yeah, I have nothing to say. If, well, what I, what I liked was um, I had the idea for the prison barge. And then for me, the iteration on that was like, well, that's a cool idea. But how can I make it even more unique? Like you, you asked Ian questions about how to stand out, right? It's like, what are those things that I've had on the back burner? And what are those things might complement this one idea that I have? And so a big part of this project and, and, and moving forward into other future Morkborg projects is the idea of layering. Because it may seem like these are simple things on the surface, but every product that I pick up from these guys has like a cool hex mechanic or a fishing mechanic or all these great little... <laughs> ideas and so um you know for me it was it's going to be a prison crawl but i'm also going to do a randomly generated ship with cards and a map and it's going to be crazy in that way and you know it just kind of built up from there because um as like i said as simple as it may seem you are running up against other creators that are really really sharp and it make it encouraged me to rise to that occasion and say how can i bring this to the next level so that it's not just weird but it's weird and smart or funky or whatever else. 
I think what you said is absolutely correct. You know, it's, I, I think it's like it's the the, the Cheech Marin uh, mantra from Up in Smoke, where he says, "We don't have to know how to play; we're punks." You know, like <laughs> you just kind of get to it, and like you, you know, you're not going to be at a, a printed finished product that you know you're retailing and all that right off the bat necessarily, but like just being part of the community. And I mean, my first kind of uh, writing for public consumption, because I never planned to be doing this. This is my first Gen Con ever, you know, and uh, this was not my my career goal, but was working on a project in the Discord with the community, the first album crawl. And that was like my first time writing things for public consumption. And everybody was throwing ideas around and giving one another feedback and like, oh, maybe, you know, you should tweak this or change that or, you know, do this or do that. And, you know, it was like that starts to give you that confidence that like, oh, all right, you know, yeah, maybe I can kind of do this. It's it's not that hard. Uh, from uh, area code nine one six, we've got aside from the artistic approach, what are some of the challenges you found in creating more porg style material that matches both the style and the theming? So stepping back from just art, right? Uh, and I, I mentioned this a little bit, like. There is an intentionality in the design of Mokpork that is both minimalist and very rich language because of that, as well as the writing style tone and other pieces like that. Uh, what are some of the challenges you all face in actually just writing and how you get yourself into a place where the words that are coming out are the type of words you're looking for? Uh, I'll, I'll hop on this one. Uh, we were just dis- discussing this uh, at, at, at my room uh, like yesterday. Um, you know, there's... There's a level of trust, I think. Oh, let me tell you, need to laugh a little. Go a little louder. <clears throat> sure. Yeah, we're good. Better. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, I was just discussing this in in my room, uh, like last night, and I think one of the things that uh, that really stands out about uh, Morkborg in its simplicity in the design is it trusts the person, the people at the table, to come to consensus on weird arbitrary situations and so i think you need a certain confidence to just write write a little bit of prose saying like this is what's happening and maybe don't fold in a mechanic if it doesn't feel appropriate because each table will figure out a way to to resolve it on their own that's like the mantra of the game so you know there's like a lot of stuff uh, I think there's some things in, in some of my early stuff that I maybe put mechanics to things where I could have just written I could have just written a description. Uh, you know, this is the this is the way uh, you know this is the way that disease works, and you just say like you know uh, maybe maybe there's like a D four days or something like that for symptoms, but like you just describe the sy- symptoms or something, and then and it's up to the it's up to the 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 people at the table to decide whether the sores on your armpits are, are affecting your attack rolls or not. You know, <laughs> like 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 uh, you know you know we're all embodied, and the nice thing about the fantasy setting is like a lot of the things that that you're writing about and affecting characters and things are things that you can imagine in your own body you know so you don't need to like necessarily nail down every mechanic that that for as a consequence because you're not going to hit them all and Morkborg doesn't try to Morkborg just says what's what's happening and and trusts you at the table to figure it out and i think that's a really that's a really key design feature that, that you have to think about as a feature, not just as a, a, you know, not just as like a mistake or something you're trying to, you're trying to, to work out, like just let mechanics lie sometimes and just write what, what's happening, you know? Well, I will say we, we talked about it with the license a little bit, right? Some of the restrictions that are on there, 
but like like a big part of it is like it is a a system that explicitly says we want to be in a place of trust with people who are creating content but we also want to be in a place of trust with everyone who's at the table playing this game so we're going to be clear about the things that are off limits and just go nuts on everything else but trusting the players and trusting the table and not over mechanizing is a huge thing that i think is optimized for some of my games i love that um other other things that y'all have learned or, or what were the challenge points for y'all in learning to write in that style i was curious luke about you you you, you and i both wrote a lot of 5e stuff or ran a yeah, lot yeah. of 5e stuff and balance is such a key component of that <laughs> that was the did you have the same i had a lot of trouble not looking through the entire adventure and comparing it to like, are they going to survive this? Oh this no, dude, that's the best part, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah You're like, oh, it has eighty hit points. I don't care. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> I think my kraken has like you know three hundred hit points. It's like you throw the balance out the window. I think yeah. that's the best part. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I still struggle with that because I'm a pathfinder, one yeah. Yeah. writer, <laughs> right? And I'm like, all right, it's going to be balanced. Every class I write, I read every single core class, and I'm like. Does this compare roughly to the power level? But yeah. my my biggest I, I'm fine with that. I like having things actually balanced. So if I put it at the table, I'll be like, yes, you can equally play this. Which I know weird for Morkborg. <laughs> I, I think that balancing class is a little bit more, yeah. more important. We've had some of that with playtesting because we've run so many cons. Yeah, we had like the sorcerer summoning like eight skeletons at level zero or whatever you want to call yeah. it. Like so, but I think when it comes to an adventure. Like, I was happy to be gone from that from 5e because that's such a big part of getting 5e. Like, if you're going to call it a fifth level adventure, you can't sell that to people and then they bring in fifth level characters and TPK in the first room. You got to, <laughs> you know. So, uh, my other tip for what your question was was powerthesaurus.org. I'm there all day. <laughs> I always look at, like, what's the most medieval. I like, just saw a bunch of people start writing. Yeah. <laughs> what's the, what's yeah. the most pillow word I can come up with right now? You know, or, or Pat Stewart did the, a lot of the flowery words, I think, in the English version. So I'll be like, ah, I need to make this more putrescent. <laughs> uh, awesome. Any other thoughts on that? Um, go ahead. Overwriting. Overwriting. Tell me more about that. Well, uh, a lot of monsters and things like that use sentence fragments. And uh, I wrote a rule system recently that Walton looked at. It was 350 words, and he cut 50 of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Use the minimum number of words possible. Yeah. Um, use the best verb instead of five pretty... Or use the best adjective instead of five pretty good adjectives. Uh, if you go to the, uh, the Owl Writing Lab at Purdue University's website... They have a system called the paramedic method. Um, use it, cleave to it, um, do nothing but that, and once you have mastered it, you will know where you can break that. Yeah. But that's my best advice for using the absolute minimum word yeah. possible. Uh, don't write like you're getting paid by the word. Yes. That's what I that's what I write like. <laughs> also feel free to tell people you don't want to get paid by the word, you want to get paid by the project also too, and then tell them how much you're worth. Um, the uh, especially with minimalist design, like you're if you're paying by the word, you're punishing people if you're asking to get paid. Yeah. Words, you're getting punished, and so um, I pay by the page for more. Pay by the page is great. Um, uh, when you have a project that you want to release, um, how do you choose between platform, HIO, drive through RPG, going to Kickstarter, working with the publisher? Um, how do you choose? Uh, let's even say what platform you want to start with potentially. Because um, I'm a very platform agnostic person, uh, we'll talk about that later. But um, <laughs> that's a whole other panel. Where you want to? Yep. Yeah, I missed that panel this morning. That's uh, right. The uh, but yeah, where? How do you choose where you want to put your work up? I mine was Kickstarter because I just wanted to go to as many people as possible. I know there's like 
especially now with Backerkit having their own platform and GameFound having really cool features, you guys both were like, eh, GameFound. So I was like, I'm definitely doing Kickstarter. And the discovery I got. I wasn't was, like, uh, GameFound. I was like, GameFound. You were like, my GameFound project. GameFound can't do the marketing support you yes. from Kickstarter inherently. But if you're not a cool marketer like me, <laughs> you got to figure it out. You definitely told me, though, you thought your project would have done 40% better on. Yeah, yeah. But also. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the record. Fuck Kickstarter. Like, yeah. uh, fair, that's fair. But I also – I would rather sell 40% more copies of the – not sell, but have no, that many have more that people. many more people playing That's your what game. I mean. That's yes. really what oh, I mean. Oh, I'm going to go find those people though still. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, like I'm not worried about it. But yeah, yeah. this is not the – yeah, not, not the topic. I just – for me, the discovery of Kickstarter's platform – like, if I look at my metrics, it was like, oh, people found this because it was on that platform. So, that really worked for me. Yeah. I just want to talk about how they juice those numbers now, but we're not going to. Uh, anybody, anybody else? Uh, platform you use to pop things up on, or what's been the most helpful for you? Same, it's Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah Sorry, both, Tony. You're both wrong. Yeah. But, yeah, I'll show myself out. Yeah. Um, go ahead. So, tell us about GameFound, Brian. <laughs> so, GameFound the 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 launching experience was was really good. We were the very first RPG to crowdfund on GameFound. I've run into some issues because it was still in beta um, when it came out, and I've had some issues with the back end now that we're starting to get into fulfillment and stuff. But I won't go into super details about that. I think we would have had much higher numbers on other platforms. Even some of the creators of uh, uh, of uh, of Merkborg may have had problems trying to get it to work with GameFound. So uh, there's definitely some numbers that would have gone down. Um, because of being on that platform. But I think depending on the, the scale of what you want to put out is how you want to get people to notice it. If you're starting out, go into the Discord and start working it there. Put it up on itch, itch to try and sure. start building people to follow it. You know, I've been in this in the industry since like 2016, 2017. So I have people already. If you're just new at it, start out with the community. And build it from there. Don't just dive into Kickstarter and expect it to work for you. Because I would also say, Luke, I don't think you started on Kickstarter. No, I started on Patreon yeah. for sure. And so, but I don't. I, I didn't really have nearly as much crossover as I, I know, thought. I know, but, but I'm saying like that was the first place you yeah. started putting. But I, Tony had a chink in your armor, and he had. I I will the community though. That's the thing. People are like, I'm going to Kickstarter. Why did my project take off? I was like, How many followers do you have? Oh, none. Well, like, of course, no one buy your book. Like. Nobody so, knows about it. Nobody yeah, knows. You. We work really, really hard to like play with our people. People buy the game; they are now like in our team. You know, it's not like customers. Like literally, like Tyler and I work really hard to run up. We're doing like West Marches campaign, that kind of stuff. I feel like that's what you really need is some uh, kind of community. Right. And the Morkboard Discord is that. I mean, right. that's and, the, that's the place to start. And any platform can be a place to deliver that. We can. I'll talk. I can talk a little bit about schema in a second. Or like, if you want to look at it. A multi-tiered approach, but anybody else thoughts on places you go to put stuff up, kind of initially. When I like being diversified, you know, and having a, a variety of options because some people like itch, some people like drive-through. Um, I've done Kickstarter, but it's a thing that, like, you know, it's trying to move away from it and like mm. develop a, you know, I've got kind of a core demographic, you know, of people that are interested in my work, and I'm getting fan mail now, so like <laughs> it's. Uh, you know, uh, I like to be all over the place and keeps it interesting. I'll talk about uh, itch and drive through. Um, I do itch and drive through for my my PDFs. I don't do uh, physical stuff. I itch uh, if you've got if you've got a visual bent. Uh, if you like doing like banner imagery or you have somebody to help with that, uh, I think that 
uh, you know, that's a good place to try out those skills. Uh, it's a pretty easy website to kind of uh, navigate and set up uh, and stylize a little bit, and it might help you with with in the future uh, with other things. Um, that's where I started out. It's pretty easy and quick to get started started out with compared to drive through because drive through you have to wait. Like when you when you're first getting setting up an account on drive through, there's like there's like a manual review process when you submit your first uh, when you submit your first product on drive through uh, where somebody actually has to review it so like if you planned on releasing something on drive through like plan for like a few weeks before uh, you know uh if you wanted to hit it a particular day because it's going to take like you're going to set it up and you're going to submit it and you're going to wait for somebody on their team to get back to you and i think you have to have three yeah. is it three yeah, products on drive through before they develop they, for the internet in 1994, too. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Uh, I yeah. love the internet. Yeah, there's a new site coming soon. No, okay. really? <laughs> soon for like five years. Yeah. yeah, the um, the the visual the visual element isn't as strong on drive through. So, uh, you know, if your if your product is more like text heavy, maybe, and like doesn't like, and you you're not as worried about the visual element, you actually might like you might do better on drive through like not not saying that like just from like a that's it's going to sell better on the on the text and what you write there because the you know the the design of the web page uh, is is more reined in by drive through itself a couple of things other to know about the ecosystem itch is very friendly to products and development like people putting up bash cans people doing what they call itch funding or a slow funding version things that aren't complete yet that are like i've got the core idea written down but this won't be the final version the its community is totally ready for that drive through rpg community is not ready for that like <laughs> even if you put beta next to it they're going to be like oh like this is like half a game right exactly like it says in the title <laughs> this is our beta so be conscious of that as you're putting things up knowing that some communities are there for experimentation and develop other ones aren't um if you're in that experimentation phase or you're looking for small projects um itch is a great place to go um, here's the here's the real money maker. The, here's here's the real winner. If you have the ability to create your own small, simple web store, even for digital goods, you're not going to get the traction. But it's the primary place you point people to buy your products. You're going to get slightly better percentages, right? You're also going to get their email in your email system. And the more you can get emails when you go to do a crowdfunding campaign or whatever platform you want to, uh, <laughs> they, uh, um, you're, you're going to be better off from a number of standpoints. So even if you even if you put it up on itch or drive through, sorry, if you put it up on itch, itch doesn't care where you link things to or how you link things. It's, it's happy to have you point people off their site. Drive through, not quite so much. <laughs> um, so if you put it on itch, saying like, hey, you can buy it here, or if you want to buy it on my webpage, it's a great way to kind of double down on that. Um, pointing people across the board. Um, I'll use my crowdfunding campaigns and my itch campaigns to point back and forth at each other fairly regularly. It's very easy to manage a lot of that stuff in-house on itch. Drive-through RPG, the thing that is better about drive-through RPG at the end of the day is the size of the checks they send you for finished products. It's not that you're making more. It's that there's more people there specifically looking for, I would say, more Borg corridor games, right? So things that kind of fall into the trad realm. Itch has a lot of that also, too, but Itch also has a lot more of the story game community. Uh, and it's a very mixed bag now, but um, there's definitely a difference in audience there. Just don't click the exclusivity box on RPG and put it on mm -hmm. both, in all honesty. Uh, and it, if you have some small sample to put out before a crowdfunding thing, do that to build the hype. They all have ways that you can use them to help produce the system and go there eventually. Yeah. Uh, on that, drive through has a great mailing list system. I say great. 
It's a functional mailing list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say they have a mailing list. Yeah, well, uh, everyone that's bought anything from you, if they've opted in, will get an email when you start a Kickstarter. Mm. And a week before you finish a Kickstarter, whenever you want. If you schedule, yeah, yeah. yeah you, you have to schedule them a week in advance and all that. But I have noticed where I will get 10 to 20% of a bump just because of that email. Um, and if you if you don't have the setup to do your own like your own store, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. But I'm just it's just if you can, the more things you can bring things in house, the more independent you can be. You're still always going to want to tap those wider community spaces to get the word out about what you're doing. Pursuant to that, if you publish something, tell Ian about it. Ian will send it out in the Mercury Monday newsletter. He will tweet about it every Monday. He'll tweet about it again on Fridays and randomly throughout the mm-hmm. year. Um, it will go up on Xleaper's Mercury, and we are the biggest traffic driver for creators. Uh, you Absolutely. get more through that platform than you will get through the platform that's hosting it through social media. If you want something to be visible, please tell Ian about it. He will make it visible for you. Yep. Don't forget, Brian. And if you're crowdfunding something, please yeah. submit it to MercBoardCompatible.com because I'm trying to build that up so that that's one central calendar for everything that. that's crowdfunding. I would love that so yes. much. I just yes. I need people to submit, and they're not. <laughs> I so. need to remember it exists. And to hear the difference between those, finish project. I need to start plugging that up. Finish public project. Ex Libris, right? When you have something ready to share, Ex Libris. When you're crowdfunding, right? Compatible with Morkboard. Those. That's the difference yep. between the two places to put it. But again. The community is very good, and I think that's that that is the key point. Like getting into the Discord, you know, like don't build a community just to sell a product, but if you're a creator, start to rally around. Like, like this may be the first time a lot of us have sat in the same room with each other, mm-hmm. uh, but this is not the first time any of us have hang out, hung out with each other. Like, we talk to each other online, we connect with each other, like, we play games with each other, like, sacrifice goats, sacrifice yep. goats, oh, the blood, <laughs> all over. Um, we're at just about at time, aren't we, Tony? We, uh, we got, we seven. got, we got like seven more minutes. I got one more question, also. Too, okay. So. Um, I do love this question, 770, whoever you are, much love to you. Uh, I'm not able to formulate this into a smart question at the moment, but game jams, question mark, discuss. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, excellent. Uh, game jams, which are a thing, um, really only on itch. I know drive through RPGs just did one. Great use of the term game jams without it really being a game jam. <laughs> um, the um, uh, So game jams are times where, for a limited period of time, it's, hey, release a product and create something for, um, and, you know, historically, this might have been as short as a couple of days. Usually they're around a month to six weeks. Um, Sometimes they're, they're 24 hours and it will kill yeah. whoever's trying to... Right, and that's a bad idea. Don't, but, but, <laughs> but participating in game jams, hosting game jams, getting stuff into game jams are excellent, but they're basically times where any creator can submit something that matches the jam, right? So it might be like, yes, this is a Merkborg jam and that's all we're doing. Anything Merkborg related is great. It could be like, hey, it's Merkborg, but it's just... It's just goats. Like, everything has to be goats <laughs> later, right? Or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or just goats. Goat farmer. Like I said, just write these ideas down. They, yeah. drip, they drip off my tongue. They're all yours. Yeah. Um, uh, but how many of you successfully engage with game jams or seeing the culture? Well, I was just going to talk about for just a moment why you would engage in a game sure. jam, right? Like, yeah. it, it's it's about, it for me, it's about building that audience and building your community. But it's also about connecting with other creators, right? And seeing what everybody brings to the table because uh, obviously it's fun to hang out with these guys, but also like these guys are going to be your biggest 
sponsors, fans, supporters when you do something live. And so being a part of the community, engaging in those shorter project sprints and giving feedback on their product and promoting their product when you can to your communities is a great way for them to follow suit and a Kickstarter backer, I'll say the word, uh, a Kickstarter backer <laughs> that has pledged to Luke's Kickstarter. If Luke posts about my Kickstarter on his update, they're super likely to back me. They're the most, that's the most likely person to back me is someone who backed Luke. So make friends with the people in this community. Guess what? You can send out a Kickstarter update about a GameCon project. Just as you absolutely can. <laughs> Pro- um, I did. For 60, oh, 60% yes, did. less people. <laughs> yeah. And get uh, tracking numbers when you do that or so that you can see the results of what your friends do. That, yeah. You know? Yeah. Track your friends. Got it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Track your friends. Get your apps on yeah. their phones. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as other as far as other platforms for crowdfunding, real quick. I, I, I if you're if you're going to do crowdfunding, there's zero reason not to do itch funding or small releases beforehand to build an audience specifically for your product. Even just putting out there's a lead magnet. Here's a free one page version of what I'm doing. Give me your email, please. Is an excellent exchange rate. Um, itch itch. I think is the easiest platform to do that on. But drive through has a lot of great support. If you have an audience there, if you don't have an audience, one, do both. Just, just start getting it out there. Wherever you're leading up to, you want to start pointing to that as early as possible and getting followers. Um, Kickstarter um, uh, will, has a built-in audience already. That's the biggest advantage of Kickstarter um, over anything else is the number of people who are already on the platform and the communities that are already there. Like They do a lot for algorithmic generation. Um, even if they juice the numbers that are from Kickstarter because they wrap a billion things in there that they may have had nothing to do with. But you don't get access to any of those analytics on the back end. If any project you run, regardless of platform, you should be looking at how you're tracking where things are coming from. Again, GameFound, I did four times my highest grossing project on GameFound. Um, not that important time. Now, you're always growing your audience, and so my audience had grown also too. Um, I could have made more on Kickstarter, but also, again, uh, for the record, Kickstarter. <laughs> um, and so, um, but um, so I think looking at other platforms, uh, there are some big exciting things coming with GameFound specifically for the RPG community generally. Uh, Indiegogo um, is coming back in pretty strong, in all honesty. Um, like, in, no, in, in all honesty, is like, bless their heart. Yeah. Like, um, and, and, it, and, it's, and it, it is cleaned up a whole lot as a company. Um, but it, both Kickstarter and and Indiegogo both work with BackerKit. So if you're using BackerKit as a service, it's very helpful. We don't have time to talk about BackerKit extensively, except for it is now a crowdfunding option also. Um, the numbers so far go up pretty fast, but they level out a lot quicker than a Kickstarter. Um, mm-hmm. So it looks like the initial pop is potentially way stronger, but the ongoing basis is still not there internally. So it's the marketing churn exclusively because you're not going to need to sort of cross-product, browser-based behavior on BackerKit at this time. Um, any other major platforms I missed? Was that all of them? No. I mean, I love Patreon. I, I know that's not really the no, same Patreon, kind of Patreon and direct support, Patreon, Kofi, Camaraderie, all great. You want to talk about your experiences there? Because I, I, I mean, I just I lost my job, and through Patreon, I, I like was able to pay my mortgage in it within a couple of months. Like, you ha- It's a lot of work, but that, that platform, especially if you're a visual artist, can really, really, really help. Uh, because you're, it's, the difference between it and crowdfunding is those people are like, here's a product. Oh, take my money. I want the thing. And Patreon is like, I don't get to decide what I'm getting. I'm giving you money anyway every time you make something. And, oh, I, I like some of it. You know, they're supporting you. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, um, I mean, I back, I, I, I support uh, Adam Voss stuff like every month on Patreon. Right? Yeah. Like, there are a number of creators that I get, I, that I do either port creation or per month uh, because it is a great way to do it. So even. If you're looking at putting out consistent content, 
Patreon and Kofi models. Like I'm going to do a pamphlet a month, or even it's, I'm going to do a page of this adventure a month for the next year. Like it can be whatever rate you want to yeah. do that. If you're good at that kind of paste work, uh, it can be a great platform. I just want to add real quick about game jams. It's a great way to get invested in the community and become part of the community. And like my first game jam, I, I had Walt submitted a piece to it and a couple others. And it was kind of a dud, but you know, like it was also, still fun. Yeah. Well, the was, Basilisk you know, and, one. The, was it the Bachelor's? No, 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 no. The, the, my, it was for the original 30 days. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it just got to the point where, you know, ultimately, you know, I, I ran what was, and still is today, I think, the largest Mercuria, uh jam with over 125 submissions. And, folklore was massive. Yeah, folklore. And so that really, like, it drives you into the community and it helps grow who you are as part of that community. It's, you know. You, yeah, um, about jams, you know. I love jams. Uh, your jam was the favorite one I submitted to because I, you know, I have a lot of folklore stuff that I tied to. Even you know, I used my tattoo for that one. <laughs> but uh, jams are great for building your identity in the community. Also, I ran uh, the slasher jam, which was just make a horror movie product, right. and then I used that to pay the creators because jams are typically free crap. Right. Uh, not crap. But. Not for me. I don't give anything away for free. I'm going to do for free. I want your email. <laughs> yeah, but like typically they're pay what you want, free, whatever, during the jam at least. And uh, so I wanted to build that I want to pay creators. So I was like, I'm going to print this and you're going to get $10 a page. Yeah, so it's a good way to not only have fun, have a theme thing, but also to, as was said earlier, make friends. Uh, real quick, because uh, we got to go. Yeah. Um, uh, who, who you are, unless we have something else. No. Who, who, you, who you are and where they can find you, five seconds or less. It can be here or it can be on the internet. Either yes. way. Uh, I can be found anywhere where you type in the name Rugos Cone, K-O-H-N. And it's the same name across all social media. That was seven seconds. Keep it tighter, Zach. <laughs> uh, I'm Zach. You can find me at the booth number 1932. And come pick up a free more board pamphlet before you go. Outside. We'll have to do it outside. Outside. Yeah. 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 Limithronpirateborg.com. Brian Cullen, booth 2467. Uh, Ian Long, IJ Long 90 at Twitter. Uh, Michael Mars, 2719. Walt, where can they find you? Um, I won't give you my website. If you want my website, I'll give you a card. I will be in the open gaming tables later on, as will Ian and Rugos at some point. Uh, we'll be playing Morkboard. I'll be running a uh, horror adventure for Frontier Scum that's based on Pele and Yoan's first collaboration. I know that was like 10 seconds. So. Uh, you're, it's all right. You're a lot. You're co-moderator, so you can do that. Uh, I'm Tony Desenda, <laughs> Chief Alchemist of Plus One EXP. Uh, you can find me at booth 2447, hidden around the backside of that of the 2500 aisle uh, with Possum Creek Games this weekend. Uh, and we've never figured out a good way to end this panel, so we're just going to wave at the audience. 